1514 is a resource of the Biblical Counseling Coalition that is made possible in part by donations from listeners like you. Will you help us to continue this wonderful ministry by logging on and giving a special donation or becoming a monthly donor? You can do so by going to our website, biblicalcc.org, and clicking on the Donate button at the top. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 15:14, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today's guest is Dr. Rob Green, pastor of counseling and seminary ministries at Faith Church. Rob also serves as the department chair for the MABC program at Faith Bible Seminary. He's a council member of the BCC Council, and he's written extensively and spoken often on the topic of biblical counseling. He joins us today to tell us a little bit about his life, how he came to know the Lord, how he got into biblical counseling, and many wonderful life lessons from counseling. I hope that you are encouraged and inspired by today's episode. All right, Rob Green, thanks so much for being with us today. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better and for our audience to get to know you personally as well. Could you start by telling us a little bit about where you grew up and what life was like for you as a child? I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My parents uh, were initially, my dad was in the military. And so the first couple of years of my life, we lived all over, uh, meaning we lived between Groton, Connecticut, New York, to uh, Bremerton, Washington. My father was stationed on a nuclear submarine in the late 60s and early 70s. And uh, one of the things I do remember about our home in Washington, we were, I was just a little guy, but I remember accidentally plugging in my eight track and getting my finger caught between the plugs and getting a good old shock. And uh, (laughs) that is a memory that I have, even though it's uh, nearly 50 years old, I still remember that day and uh, what happened. But I spent most of my growing up years in Columbus, Ohio, after my dad uh, was uh, discharged from the service. Uh, We moved to Columbus, both his parents and my mom's parents I grew up in central Ohio, so it was a very convenient and obvious place for us to return. Yeah, absolutely. So how old were you when your dad got out of the military? I was uh, three and a half when he got out. All right. That would have been an intense time to be in a nuclear sub, uh, for sure, for sure. Uh, so you, your family settled near other uh, extended family, which is awesome. So did you have a chance to grow up around uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles? What was that like? Yeah, uh, both my grandparents lived about an hour away uh, in slightly different directions, one in Marysville, Ohio, and uh, the other in Marion, Ohio. And so I would say that we saw them about once a month. Hmm. So maybe every other Saturday, we would be heading either to Grandma and Grandpa Green's or to uh, Grandma and Grandpa Tobin's. It was really a delightful time uh, to grow up. I knew all of my uncle's Uh, My uh, mother is the oldest of seven, and so actually several of the uh, uncles of mine were not all that much older than me. In Mm. fact, the youngest brother uh, of my mother is six years older than I. So I really looked up to him. I valued him. I uh, had a great relationship with him for a long, long time. 
And uh, it was a joy uh, to be able to live so close to extended family and uh, to enjoy time with them. Now, I'm, I'm interested because uh, I know eventually we'll get into college and things like that. And I know you were in engineering. I'm kind of curious if there's a connection between the shock that you got uh, in pursuing that career. But uh, <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what were you like as a kid? So you grew up in, in middle Ohio, lots of family around in a Christian home. What, would, what was Rob like? I would say uh, my mother described me as busy, uh, busy. I don't know if that meant, uh, you know, maybe too busy, uh, chaotic. Uh, I do know that uh, when they went to visit a church nursery one time, they received a pamphlet on how to discipline your child. So uh, apparently <laughs> in the early days, uh, there were a lot of uh, challenging issues with me. And maybe those who are older would have appreciated, who I met in my older years, would have appreciated me uh, being disciplined a bit more. But uh, that got taken care of uh, not too much longer after that uh, joyous nursery experience. That's interesting. Did you happen? To, did your parents happen to watch and see if this was just something they give to all the new kids, or was it specifically for, for them? I, I, I think their goal was to get out of there as fast as possible. <laughs> so I don't know that they were looking to see if there were others in the same situation as they were. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so tell us about, as you grew up, what were your interests as a teenager? What, what were you into? What did you like? You know, I was always a big sports fan. I remember uh, my dad was a big Ohio State football fan. Uh, both of my parents actually went to Ohio State uh, during the early 80s. Neither one of them had finished college out of high school. And so after my dad's military service was done, uh, he actually went back to school, which meant that in many ways I grew up on the campus. It was not unusual uh, for me to spend at least one evening a week while one or both of my parents were in classes uh, being on campus. Uh, I remember one of our great treats was to hit High Street, the Baskin Robbins on High Street. But when that, that happened, that was a good day. Uh, and so as a result of being a football fan, I remember uh, just valuing sports. I enjoyed uh, playing soccer. Uh, I enjoyed being uh, I wasn't a good athlete, but I enjoyed participating and uh, enjoyed having fun doing that kind of thing. So we would often be out playing football in the uh, street or in the backyards. And, you know, we're all pretending to be the star quarterback or the star wide receiver or whatever and uh, leading our team to victory. That, that was one of the great uh, joys of that time period. Uh, for me, I was also, you know, that's the early 80s, late 1970s was also the whole start of the video game craze. Mm -hmm. So I can remember uh, arcades offering a certain number of tokens for good grades. And uh, it was, again, a special <laughs> treat to go to the arcade and collect the tokens that you would get from all the A's or B's that you received uh, in school and uh, enjoy some time doing that. So th that was probably younger childhood was all about that. Yeah. Well, I, I forgot to ask, did, did you have siblings? What was, what was your family makeup? Yeah, I grew up with one sister. She's two years younger than me. Uh, she still lives in central Ohio. And uh, uh, that was the sum total of our clan. So um, 
when when did you you grew up in a Christian home, but when did Christianity and your faith really become a significant aspect of your life? So I believe that uh, God in his grace saved me uh, in 1975. I was four at that time. Uh, I remember the, the conversation uh, with my mom in my room uh, on my bed uh, about the need that I had for uh, salvation and how even though I had certainly not done everything that a person could do or had done every evil deed that a person could experience, think, or do, that nevertheless, my sin still separated me from a holy God. Mm. And I repented and trusted Christ. Uh, during the early childhood, we did not attend a, a growing church. Instead, we were part of what my parents had gotten involved with as a church plant that never really took off. And so a, a major switch occurred for me as well as for my family when we moved just prior to my start of my freshman year in high school. Mm. And uh, we didn't move away from Columbus. We just moved from one part of town to another part of town. But that move really made it very difficult for us to attend the same church that we were going to. And so my parents had decided that we needed to go looking somewhere else. And in the sovereignty of God, he put a very strong Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church uh, about a mile from our house. And so when my parents decided that they wanted to start looking, that was the logical place to at least try, um, really close to home. And uh, we went one Sunday and never left. Wow. And it was a radical time of transformation uh, in the church plant that we were involved in, we did not have a trained pastor. Uh, he was a, a layman who was concerned about uh, the word. He was concerned about the Lord, but the, the lack of training was certainly clear. And uh, when we got in this church, that was very different. And it was almost as if somebody was opening the Bible in new ways to us every single week. And so we continued to stay and we experienced significant spiritual growth during that time. What um, <clears throat> what kind of things changed for you? Obviously, learning new things from the Word as somebody's really opening it up and teaching it. Um, how did that shape and transform you as a person? I, I think I got even more serious about my faith. I think I knew that I was a Christian, and I knew what it meant to be a Christian, but in terms of the everyday, practical, what does it look like to talk to people? What does it look like to think biblically? What does it look like to care about people? Those are things that were not as obvious to me. And so the kinds of things that changed, some of them were circumstantial. Uh, we were pulled out of the place that we knew. So I changed schools. Uh, I changed friend groups. Uh, I all the things that I knew had to just be changed. And I was not a very outgoing person. So I wasn't the life of the party kind of person ever. And so moving to a new school where the rules were different, moving to a new series of friends where I didn't know a soul who went there, 
uh, was a difficult transition for me. So in many ways, I was very lonely in high school, but that also pushed me uh, to rely more on the Lord than I ever had before, where the spot where my friends took, uh, now I didn't have. And so that's space that the Lord needed to occupy. Uh, how, knowing how to navigate and function was space I knew. Now it's different. Uh, I went from inner city schools to a suburban school. Uh, I just didn't know how to make that transition initially. And so therefore there were large gaps and I, I didn't really fit into any group. Um, so I wasn't, you know, a good athlete. So I wasn't in the athletic group and I, I wasn't a, a perfect student. So I wasn't in the, the geek or nerd group. You know, I, I, I just sort of floated in this middle. I wasn't outgoing. So I wasn't in the real popular group. And, uh, and I wasn't great looking, so I didn't fit in that group either. So when it came to like, <laughs> what group do I fit in? I, I was just didn't have a group. Hmm. And so that just lend itself even more to, you know, loneliness in high school and trying to find uh, a, a way to navigate through the world. And that's where the Lord occupied that space uh, that he needed to occupy before. I just didn't know it. Yeah, and it was a time of of real growth and maturity. How did that practically play? That Christ occupying more of your life. How did it practically play out in your life? Was it getting into the Word? Was it activity in church? Like how? What did that look like in teenage Rob's life? Yeah, I think um, for both of them, it was yeah. I, I started attending youth group. I had not done that before, and. You know, I, I got to see uh, a different group of people. So my youth leaders were very godly uh, individuals who wanted to serve the Lord and cared about people. Uh, I didn't initially go for the kids. I went because the youth leaders wanted me to go. They re were the ones who reached out to me. Then uh, time in the Word, as well as uh, time reading uh, Christian books. Those were things that I just had not done before. And, you know, we went from a, a church where you just had Sunday morning service to a church that had Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night prayer meeting. And it had a library for mm -hmm. Christian books. You know I mean? Like people read, you know, that's not the place that we were at before. <laughs> and so there's a lot of new exposure taking place. Mm. Oh, that's really good. How, um, so high school, you kind of didn't fit into one of these things. You kind of, but put a lot of time and energy into, into Christ, into his church. As you started thinking to college, what were you thinking and where did you end up going? So I applied to three schools. Uh, I applied to Purdue, uh, Ohio State, and Penn State, all to their engineering programs. And um, I, I was a good student. I once, you know, I wasn't the best student, but I graduated in the top three or 4% of my class. And so I got in all three schools, but ultimately decided to go to Ohio State because I could live at home mm. and uh, get out with no debt. So it was really an opportunity 
uh, for me to have a, an education that I could do at home. I'd already been on campus my whole life because both my parents graduated from there. And so it made sense for me to do that. And so that's what I did. And I actually lived at home all four years of my college time. I stayed a part of the church. In fact, uh, became more uh, of a servant during that period of time. And uh, my college years were definitely transformational, even more so than high school. I think high school was a transition where I'm being exposed to all these new things. But college was really where a lot of the growth and maturity started to happen. What, um, when did you meet your spouse? Uh, well, you know, we kind of joke about this. Both her family and my family ended up going to the same church, Maranatha Baptist in Columbus, Ohio, the same year. So we moved there because we moved from the north end of Columbus to the west side, and it just put us within a mile of the church. And so we were just looking because it was close. For her, her family didn't physically move. They had been attending a United Methodist Church and decided that the kids were receiving better biblical instruction during the school day, because there was a Christian school at the church and my wife went to it. Their family decided the exact same year that they were going to transfer to the church as well Hmm. so that they could receive instruction as a family at that level and not just their kids receive it uh, during their school day. And so uh, even though we were there, I actually didn't know her. Uh, I knew her brothers. She had two older brothers. And then she had a younger brother. And I'm not sure I knew he existed until we had been dating for a period of time. And he was (laughs) even quieter than I was. And uh, I didn't even know that there was a a fourth child in that family. Uh, So we ended up meeting and I'll, I'll use the word meeting formally uh, in college, but I'm, I think we probably knew each other in high school, but we just didn't ever interact. Hmm. Interesting. So what was it that finally, uh, well, who caught whose attention first and how did that happen? Well, I, you might have to ask her that question. <laughs> uh, I, I think at least uh, for me, what, began to put us in proximity is our church also had a campus Bible study and I would go to that. She decided to go to a community college in Columbus as well uh, called Columbus state. And she, as a result of not having a Bible study at Columbus state would go to the Bible study on Ohio state's campus. And so that's where we ended up, first really communicating and talking and getting to know one another. And then in addition to that, I had been encouraged to serve in Awana, which our church had run for years and years. I, I had done, oh, maybe two weeks of Awana when I was a kid at a <laughs> sister church, but I, I, and I never really did much with it. Uh, and so I actually did decide to serve in that way she was also an Awana leader. So we ended up in a position where we would have Monday night together 
because we were in Awana. Then we would see each other on Wednesday night at prayer meeting. Then we'd see each other on Thursday night at the campus Bible study. And then we would see each other on Sunday morning and Sunday night at the church services. So all of a sudden, uh, the attention began to get more obvious at that point. Yeah. And uh, that's when interest really started to grow. Yeah, you have like four or five built-in, not really dates, but, you know, service <laughs> dates kind of. That, that's funny. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Well, t- tell us, how did, you, how did you get into biblical counseling? Well, that you got to advance quite a few years. Uh, so... When I was in college, I graduated in engineering and uh, believed by the time I got done with college that the Lord wanted me in some type of vocational ministry. But I wasn't 100% sure exactly what that meant or looked like. Uh, Stephanie and I had been married at that point, newly married at that point, and she was also committed to full-time ministry. Again, not 100% sure what or where, but committed to the idea. So we decided that we needed to do a few things uh, in order to prepare for vocational ministry training. And this is back in the days before, you know, internet classes were available and those sorts of things. So we we knew we were going to have to move. It was going to require quitting our jobs, picking up our bags and going somewhere else. So there were several goals and initiatives that we had before we left, before we made that big, crucial, here's the line in the sand moment, uh, we thought we needed to do a few things. So for example, she needed to finish her nursing degree. She'd started, but she wasn't uh, yet done. So that was task number one. Uh, Task number two was to save some money because we figured that we would not be in the same place of earning Uh, when we went to seminary that we were then. And so we thought, well, you know, we probably need to have the first year's worth of tuition saved. And uh, so we went the first couple years of our marriage just seeking to fulfill those things. And so then the, the Lord allowed us at that point to accomplish it. And in the fall of 1997, uh, we, packed up our bags, we quit our jobs, and we moved out to Northeast Pennsylvania, where I attended Baptist Bible Seminary. Uh, It's now part of Clark Summit University. It was called Baptist Bible College and Seminary at the time. It has since changed its name. But that's where uh, I went. And it was during that time that I, I was just getting trained. Again, I didn't really have any formal biblical counseling. I would just say that I was for biblical and I was for counseling, but I didn't really know what biblical counseling would be. Mm. And uh, as we got to the end of uh, our training, Baptist Bible Seminary required that before you graduated, you had to have a 10-month internship in a church. Mm. And the church had to approve, at least recommend that you graduate. So it is technically possible for a man to complete all the theological education, go on his internship, and then not graduate uh, if the church did not think that he was a man who was really called to vocational ministry. Hmm. 
So I had uh, about maybe eight months before uh, I was going to finish the theological education component of the degree. Uh, the guy responsible for the internships called me and said, hey, Rob, you know, again, I was a little bit older. I had already worked several years um, in uh, normal business. Uh, we had served as dorm parents while we were there. So we were not just the 24 or 25-year-old who'd finished his education and was now needing to go on an internship. And so that gave us a little bit of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so the person said, hey, Rob, it's time for you to go. Uh, If you would like us to choose an internship for you, we will. But if you would like to arrange one yourself, you're free to do that. So I called my home pastor. He'd been my pastor since I was a freshman in high school when um, we moved there. And I said, hey, uh, you know, pastor, this is now the time. Would you like me to return to, you know, my home church, to your church? Would you like to recommend me going somewhere else? What would you like me to do? And uh, he went back and prayed about that, talked to the leadership team. And he ultimately said, you know, Rob, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go be an intern at Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette, Indiana. Now, I had zero connection to faith up until that time. Zero. I didn't know who was there. I didn't know what it was about. I knew nothing about Faith Church in Lafayette. I just knew that when I was 16 years old, I had visited Purdue University Mm -hmm. uh, to determine whether or not I wanted to go there. That was literally it. And he was kind enough to call Faith and uh, Faith in uh, at that particular time had an opening for an intern. And so I was accepted as an intern for the, the summer, July 1st of 2001. Hmm. That was my introduction to biblical counseling. Because the first task that every intern at Faith gets is to take the Monday counseling program <laughs> where you spend 11 weeks getting the fundamentals of biblical counseling, watching sessions, And at the time, the pastor overseeing my uh, internship needed to become an ACBC fellow. Mm. Well, to become an ACBC fellow, you have to bring into the super to the membership two additional people. So he needed to supervise two people. Well, if that doesn't have intern written all over it, I don't know (laughs) what would, right? Yeah. So the intern responsibility was to do that. So that's actually how I got connected. I learned about biblical counseling when I came here. And then I was asked after taking the class to get started counseling. And so I took the ACBC exams and I started counseling under the watchful eye of uh, my supervising pastor, uh, who not only did the 50 hours with me, but I just sought to mentor me and disciple me in counseling ministry. That's fantastic. For those, maybe some of our audience don't know you. uh, Many do, I'm sure, through your writing ministry, as well as the teaching and training and conference you put on at Faith. But for those who don't, fill fill them in on what what you do at Faith now. I serve 
as the uh, pastor of counseling and seminary ministries. And so really well, that involves three hats. Uh, one is a normal staff pastor at Faith Church. So I do hospital calls, funerals, weddings, uh, preaching, uh, teaching in adult Bible fellowship, just as you would expect any staff pastor in a larger church to be involved in ministry. That's what I do. Uh, hat number two is I serve as the chair of our Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling program through Faith Bible Seminary. We started it in 2008, and it has continued to this day. And uh, by God's grace, it's grown uh, tremendously over the years. And so I have the privilege of working in the seminary uh, with a group of just fantastic men and students uh, who are seeking to grow in their uh, knowledge and skill in biblical counseling. And then the third area is to serve in the counseling ministry of our church. And so that means that I counsel uh, not only those from our own church, but also from the community, and then also have had a role in the training programs that Faith has offered, whether it be our 11 Monday program, whether it's been a conference, uh, either our annual BCTC or uh, some of the conferences that we have begin, begun doing more recently as a result of opportunities that have come through the pandemic, uh, such as offering our training virtually. So those would be the three big picture hats that I would wear in a given week. Yeah, that's that's helpful. And for those who haven't read your writing, you wrote Tying the Knot and Tying Their Shoes. Uh, any other book projects out there? I know, well, I know of one that's in the in the pipeline, but tell our audience about any other writing you're doing. Yeah, I've had the privilege of participating in the BCC books. And so there's a chapter in each of those uh, that I was had the opportunity to co-author. Uh, then there, there were a number of uh, mini books. They came through New Growth Press uh, a number of years ago. They had requested that we would do some writing for them. And so I had the chance to write several uh, little mini books, you know, 24 page kind of things. And then uh, the most recent project is a introduction to biblical counseling textbook with uh, Bob Jones, who teaches at uh, Southern and Kristen Kellen, who teaches at uh, Southeastern. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that that one coming out. Bob being near here and living really close to us has been kind of keeping me in the loop, so I'm excited to see that come to fruition. Uh, so <clears throat> rewinding a little bit, 2001, you land at Faith as an intern, uh, which I think would have been really intense come September of 2001. Um, I'm curious what that's like. I'm not sure we have time for that here, but... Uh, Tell us a little bit about that, the rest of your internship, and then fill in the gap between there and coming on staff at Faith. So in 2001, uh, Faith had had a long-standing intern program. So I was certainly not the first. There had been many, many before me, and it was uh, part of Faith's mission to help train the next generation of leaders. That's one of the reasons why Faith Bible Seminary was a natural extension and a, a really an obvious choice for the church to do, because in many ways they were already doing it. Mm -hmm. I had a delightful time, absolutely delightful time. I, I will tell you, I came uh, to faith a little bit weary. I had uh, done uh, four years out, out of Baptist Bible Seminary. I had worked uh, pretty close to full time. 
And Mm. it was a challenging time. We'd had one child um, at that point. And so it was just a very hectic, busy time and uh, just a little bit weary. And it was a great opportunity, not only to learn about biblical counseling, but just to be immersed in a leadership team with people like Doc Smith. You know, Dr. Mm -hmm. Bob Smith just recently was promoted to heaven. But to to be around a godly layperson like that was a treat, a a true joy. Uh, The staff was very committed uh, to the Lord, to his word. Uh, The church was very committed to accomplishing the mission that God had for them. And so it was a very encouraging and delightful time. Uh, Yeah, there were some uh, challenges culturally. Of course, the the terror attacks on September 11th, which is also uh, my wife and I's uh, anniversary. Mm -hmm. Not the same year, of course, but uh, we were married uh, on September 11th in 1993. And so the, uh, the, there was certainly that cultural element, but for the most part, my year was truly delightful and in many ways gave some opportunity for rest. Mm. Then uh, at the end of that year, uh, I had the privilege of transitioning to be the solo pastor at a church in uh, Frankfurt, Indiana, which is about 25 miles from Lafayette. Mm. And uh it was a great opportunity. I was there for just over three years and had a a wonderful opportunity to cut my pastoral teeth, uh, so to speak, in a small church with people who had been around there forever. I mean, there were uh, still charter members of the church that were there. And then the church had started in like 1968 or so. And uh, I had the privilege of uh, being the pastor there. And it was great because in in many ways, uh, I was a young guy uh, learning, cutting my pastoral teeth on people who, you know, had been around the block and had served the Lord for a long time. Uh, They were very gracious to me. Uh, I had learned, uh, I I got myself in trouble a couple of times, but also learned the power of forgiveness and, and repentance in real life relationships. And uh, not too long after I went to uh, Grace in Frankfurt, uh, Faith had asked if I would consider being part of the launch of Faith Bible Seminary. And so I had been contemplating that and uh, working on that for quite some time. And ultimately, in 2005, I made the transition from the church in Frankfurt back here uh, to join the staff permanently. And I've been here ever since. Oh, that's really great. It's really great. Well, most of our audience are biblical counselors, and you've obviously been doing biblical counseling, training in biblical counseling, really involved in it for writing in biblical counseling for a number of years. What are some of the, I want you to share some of the lessons you've learned from your years in ministry, uh, starting with what's maybe the hardest thing you've faced in counseling ministry? I think counseling people who are self-righteous is really, really difficult um, because when you have self-righteousness, it is very hard to speak. Uh, It's very hard to say anything that seems to land. Mm. And one of the challenges in that environment is it's easy to become angry yourself. 
and not just with a righteous anger where you're trying to communicate to your counselees that, look, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and I'm exhorting you, I'm encouraging you not to continue down this path of self-righteousness because it's going to lead to humiliation and destruction. That's a, an appropriate way to talk. Sometimes when you're talking to somebody who's self-righteous, you're just flat out mad. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> the, the way they talk to you, the way that it seems like they're wasting their time, the way they deceive mm. and the way that they blame somebody else for their own issues. I mean, it, it can become a very personal thing like, okay, you're not only messing with your spouse or your children. Now you're messing with me too. And, mm -hmm. and so now I'm going to let you have it because of that. And uh, I find that's that to be a, a real challenge and being prepared mentally, spiritually for those situations is important because, you know, for all of us who get involved in biblical counseling, uh, there are hard moments. Mm -hmm. There are hard days. It's hard to watch somebody destroy their life. I mean, I like to talk about biblical counseling from a positive perspective that I get a front row seat to God changing people. But there's another side of that equation. And that is what happens if you watch somebody destroy themselves, yeah. Yeah. You, you get a front row seat to their own destruction. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. You don't like it. You don't like to see it. You hurt for the people who experience it. Uh, and who suffer the consequences of it, even if they weren't part of it. Uh, it so that's that, that's a hard piece. And being prepared spiritually, mentally, in order to serve the Lord well, because we got into biblical counseling because we believe that God can change anyone at any time. Yeah. You can have 10 absolutely horrible sessions, and the 11th session it's like the light bulb suddenly comes on and the person just radically repents, changes. And you, it's like you're talking to a new person. Yeah. You believe that. Everybody who's listening to this believes that. And if they didn't, they would have gotten out of biblical counseling. They would have given up and said, I'm not going to be a part of it. But there are times when you're talking to self-righteous people that uh, you get almost convince yourself God can't even God can't change this person. Um, this, this one's yeah, going now. Yeah. But I think that's probably one of the hardest cases that I've had to deal with. Yeah. I'm uh, curious when you, and I, I totally relate brother, watching people destroy their lives in front of you, when you've warned them, you've shown them the hope that's available in Christ through his word. And um, where do you go? How do you, wrestle with that pain, the hurt, the loss? Like, how do you find comfort from the Lord in those times? A couple of my favorite passages for not only my counselees, but they're probably one of those times where you're counseling your counselee, but you're also counseling yourself. I don't mm. know if you've ever done that. Oh, totally. Where it's yeah. like, uh, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> this is something I need to hear, um, but I'm going to yeah. tell you because I think you could benefit from it too. But it's Psalm 42. Mm. And one of the reasons that I love Psalm 42 is the chorus of verse 5 and verse 11. Why are you in despair of my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? It, it emphasizes the, 
the wrestling, the unsettledness, the despair that exists in a person's heart. Mm -hmm. But then there's the self-counsel, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And as you trace through the the rest of the Psalms, so verses 1 to 4, verses 6 through 10, you can actually see hope and despair almost like a teeter-totter. Like Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm in hope and sometimes I'm in despair, depending on which verse I'm in. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me that hope and despair can occupy the same heart. So I can be discouraged about the way my counselees are responding to the Lord, to his word. And at the very same time, I have hope in God who can change them, can change me anytime that he wants. Yeah. And so, yes, there's despair but there's not despair and no hope. And I think when we get to the place as counselors where we despair, but we forget the hope, that's when things get desperate for us. Mm -hmm. And that's when we start convincing ourselves that maybe we should get out of counseling. Maybe we shouldn't talk to this person anymore. Maybe we shouldn't be involved in this kind of personal ministry because all that's here is despair. Where, how do I encourage myself? I encourage myself that despair is going to be part of life. I, mm. I'm not going to talk to everybody who radically changes, but I always have hope in God, and I can always believe that today could be different, and maybe it will be. And so I might go home uh, on cloud nine, or I might go home with just the the clinging to the hope that God can change anyone at any time. No, that's a good, it's a really good word. And it's a good reminder. I I loved how you remind us that hope and despair can occupy the same space. Cause really without, if there wasn't the the possibility to despair, hope would, it's not as meaningful. There's no, not as much need for hope when, if everything's going great, it's like, why do I need to hope for it to be better? (laughs) Exactly. That's a good, that's a good word. Uh, what are some of the things you, I think you've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but dig in a little bit more. You like the positive side. What are the things that keep you going in ministry? What are the things you love about it that just excite you and, and keep you pressing forward? Well, one of them on the counseling side is getting a front row seat to watching God change people. Because mm. that just reinforces why you got into it to begin with. You got into it because you wanted to see hurting people changed through the work of his spirit, using his word to radically change people. Uh, Number two, uh, evangelism. You know, every church has to ask the question, how do we do evangelism? How can we get evangelism done? And biblical counseling is one answer to that question. Mm. There are people who are going to come, especially if you're willing to open your doors to anybody in your community. There are going to be people who are going to say, I'm going to go to the church because number one, the church is free. And number two, because my grandma took me to church when I was eight. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm 42 and I haven't been back to church yet, nevertheless, I went to church when I was eight, I'm going there. Mm -hmm. And there's an opportunity for the gospel. And not all that long ago, just a couple months ago, I asked a guy to write out his testimony because I thought, 
the way that he described it to me was just really fuzzy. I, I had a hard time understanding his conversion. And so I assigned it to him for homework. I said, please just write your testimony out for me. And he wouldn't come back for two weeks. And he told me why later uh, he wouldn't come back. He said, because I realized that I didn't have one. Hmm. And places faith and trust in Christ that week. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, how else do you get evangelism done? Here was a person seeking help and seeking answers and realizing that, you know, just because his grandma took him to church when he was eight probably doesn't mean that he's a genuine follower of Jesus. So evangelism is another thing that keeps you going. Uh, third is when you're involved in training other people, mm. you want to be sure that they're drinking from a river as opposed to from stagnant water. So the idea that we stop counseling because, well, we've done enough is risky because it yeah. means that at that point, I'm no longer growing in my interactions with people. I'm no longer growing in the kind of cases that I get. I'm no longer growing in the kind of struggles that people are facing. And I think students, when we're students, we want to drink from flowing rivers. We don't want to drink from stagnant water. So part of the value of counseling is that it prepares us properly for teaching. You know, there's a lot of times when people, they, they love to be teachers. They love to teach counseling. But at least our view here is that you get to teach counseling when you do counseling. Yeah. When you yeah. sit in the seat, when you have case wisdom, when you're talking to that person and learning how to interact with them and wrestling with the hard questions that they're wrestling with, that puts you in the position to train and equip others. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good, that's a good word, and it's an encouragement to all of us to keep keep counseling, keep preparing, and and yeah, keep growing in that. And that's a that's a big sticking point for me. I know as well with the. This is not something you can just teach out of a book or theory. It's got to have some practice to it. Well, we're almost out of time. I know I have some other questions. It's, I've really enjoyed the conversation, Rob, and I think you've shared a lot of helpful things for our audience. But our last couple minutes are reserved for a segment called Two Minute Favorites. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've sent you these questions, so it might be a surprise for you. But are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. I just have to start my timer. And here we go. What is your favorite food? Steak. What is your favorite gift you've ever received? Salvation. Hmm. Favorite gift you've ever given? Uh, probably the, uh, the gifts with each of our children. So with each of our kids, I bought something special for my wife or doing the, the process of labor and delivery. So probably those would be my favorite. Uh, favorite word? Favorite word. You mean passage of scripture? Nope. Favorite, just favorite word. Favorite word. Oh, man, I don't know that I can answer that. All right. Favorite color? Favorite color, blue. Favorite sport? Uh, to watch football. Favorite sports team? Ohio State. 
Favorite Bible verse? Romans 8, 31 to 39. And if I have to pick one, 8, 34. All right. Uh, least favorite word? Least favorite word? Yep. Uh, I don't have one. All right. Favorite book of the Bible? Uh, probably... I'm going to, I have different reasons for why I like different ones, but if I'm stranded on an Island, which book do I get? I'm taking Romans with me. All right. Favorite book outside of scripture. Uh, probably. So this will reveal a bit of my character. Uh, when people are big and God is small. Favorite candy. Snickers. Favorite ice cream flavor. Uh, mint chocolate chip. If you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? <laughs> um, flying. All right. Well, that wraps up our two minutes together and it wraps up our interview today. Rob, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.